you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Amar Ghosh. Welcome to the show, Amar. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to be here. Excellent. I'm excited for today's episode because we are going to talk about a few very interesting things. It's a lot about team dynamics. I'm really excited to hear about that. And also, you've recently acquired a SaaS business, which is also super interesting. But uh, before we kick off, Amar, would you mind giving the audience a little bit of an introduction to who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Amar. I, um, I currently run ZenMade.com, which is a scheduling software for made services that we started in 2013. So we've been doing it for, um, for, for quite a while now. Uh, my co-founder left that a couple of years ago, so I'm like the solo like founder on it. But we've got a team of about 20 people distributed um, remotely, and I've been traveling the world doing the uh, the nomad thing since 2015. Um, the backstory before that, again, to just keep it really like really concise, is essentially I read the Four Hour Work Week back in 2006 or 2007 when it was first published by uh, by Tim Ferriss that planted the seed of just, you know, making money from anywhere in the world and being able to travel and like live like that sort of lifestyle. And I spent, I think the following nine years, I think just failing my way through project after project. And so um, in 2013 is when we started ZenMade. Um, and that was um, after many years of, um, <laughs> of failure and, uh, and uh, face plants and, uh, and, and everything. So um, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Uh, I grew up in California um, in, in Silicon Valley. Um, people usually find that interesting. I don't know. Excellent. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, we've all failed a lot. So uh, always good to hear you're one of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. So Amar, um, with the business you have today, what, what do you feel is the biggest management challenge that you generally face? So having, having 20 staff or so, uh, what, what, what sort of, yeah, what's, what's the challenge that sort of both you find the most difficult, but also the most interesting, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that makes our team unique is that uh, a lot of the people are very like cross-functional or they work across multiple, um, multiple departments. Uh, and so for example, so we work with maid services and we've gone out of our way to hire actual maid service owners to work on the non-technical side of the company, right? And so we'll have a maid service owner that maybe works on support for us that will then come in and be doing like QA testing for our um, for our tech team to make sure that new features aren't going to break when they're released to like to the actual like customer base and stuff. And then also on the marketing side, of course, we're using a lot of them as assets on the marketing side for video content for stuff like that. And so recently we've been going through uh, some more just growing pains where I mean, essentially, it's like too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Where with 20 people, we're beginning to have projects where there are four or five people involved. And, 
you know, recently we had someone that started getting emails about videos and, you know, everyone knew exactly what she was supposed to be doing in the process, but somehow none of the three people working on the project had ever communicated that to her. Right. And so she right. starts getting all these emails. All three people know what's happening, but she doesn't know what's happening. And so that, that's probably the biggest challenge because I've been seeing that happen more and more. And honestly, it's draining a lot of my mental resources when we're starting new things now for me having to like run through and um, and sort of figure out where these things can go wrong and where we might drop the ball at sort of at no one's fault, but ultimately at my fault. Right. So right. I, I don't know if you've actually gotten the input on that, on how to, how to deal with that, if I can get some free consulting on the podcast, but that, that's the biggest challenge recently, at least definitely growing pain. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think, I think it's about building frameworks, right? Because you like a lot of the time, particularly when you, when you have bigger companies, right? You, you often end up in these situations where you have project with multiple people. And one, one of the key things for me, like even, even in more consistent teams, it's always making very clear who owns what, because I think, I think particularly with projects, you very often see that you have many people who, you know, some take a lot of initiative, some doesn't take a lot and they're better at executing and so on. So people, people generally work on projects with, with different strength. Uh, and I, I think that's often what, what tend to cause some of those things. And also because you're, you're trying to do a lot of things in a short period of time and so on, but, but, but really making clear what each person is responsible for so that you also know, you know, if there is a problem or if a problem comes up, who to actually address it with, right? Because uh, I, I totally get what you're saying when you say, oh, you know, it, it's no one's fault, it's my fault, but really you should have someone responsible for each of the areas, right? Who, who, who knows and understand that they're responsible for it. Um, but obviously with newer project, it can be a little bit difficult, but that's generally the way I would personally go around it, right? Yeah, definitely, right. definitely. And what we've run into is just that, um, is, is just that oftentimes we put someone in charge, but then they're essentially having to manage up. And I think that's where the problems are really coming in. It's that they're in charge of the project, but they're having to go to me or to someone else on the team who's on the exec team for certain things within the project. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's always, that's always interesting. That's always a lot of fun. And it's good development as well. How, yeah, uh, definitely. How many layers do you have in your company now? Like how many, how many layers of management is there? Um, so there, there's about four or five people that essentially report to me directly. And then most of them are working directly with, with like their teams, like under them in a couple of cases, there, there's one more, more layer. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's it right now. Excellent. Okay, that sounds We're good. Trying to keep it like that as long as possible. I think that that's definitely when we start getting that third layer across the board, that's when we're going to have a whole new set of management problems, which honestly I'm very much looking forward to, right? Those are going to be great problems to have. Yeah. No, but that's uh, that makes a lot of sense and that that is exactly the right way to look at it, right? So, yeah. I like that. Um and I, and I really like sort of you as well keeping yourself to to around five five people reporting to you. That is also absolutely well done because I, I, I think and, and I've been there myself like as an as a business owner right it's 
it's so tempting to go in and meddle in all the things you shouldn't. And keeping the amount of reportees down is something that will actually help you with that, right? So I really, really like that aspect. So excellent. So we were talking a little bit before we started the show here around team dynamics and, and you've been doing some one-to-ones with the team. Do you want to talk a little bit about the process you've gone through and the outputs and so on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just because I am not usually the best with my calendar during quarantine, um, during like COVID, uh, it's been really healthy, you know, actually, you know, following my schedule, you know, I know when I'm actually going to be home and available for calls and stuff. And so previously where I batched all of like my most important calls, now I've taken one-on-ones with the entire team. And so everyone on our team just scheduled a, I think it was scheduled for 30 minutes to be like a 30 minute um, one-on-one with me. And this, uh, like I was saying before we started recording was every single person on the team um, from like our VAs that are probably a couple of dollars an hour that maybe do 10 hours of work like a week um, all the way um, up to like to my CTO and um, really it was just a personal check-in to just see how things were going to see um, sort of how things were going like with their jobs and like and in the business Uh, I checked on if there were any skills that they were looking to develop like the rest of the year um, that we might be able to set them up with something internally that could help them to develop those Uh, you know found out that at least one of the VAs was interested in actually uh, in content writing, which I didn't know, and another one of our um, of our assistants has been um, asking about marketing. So that was some good stuff that came out of that. And then the last thing, which is something that I definitely recommend um, everyone everyone ask. And I don't remember. Where, I don't know if you, if you said these, these questions. I know we had talked about meeting formats when you were on um, on our podcast with, um, with with Mike. But the uh, the three questions that I've been asking at the end of all of these one on ones is what should then made start doing? What should then made um, stop doing and what should then made keep doing and yeah i found all of those one-on-ones to be very very productive and we've made quite a few like changes internally like already from that so yeah excellent one thing i'm very curious to ask is do you regularly do one-to-ones outside this or was this sort of a once-off this is sort of a a once-off um and that I definitely should be doing more one-to-ones. Like I have a lot more one-to-ones with everyone that reports to me directly. I have one-on-ones with them multiple times a week, just because we'll 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 chat a lot and bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, and then they'll have a lot of one-on-ones with everyone sort of below them. And then we have a couple of siloed like team calls that are every week that I usually try to be on. So I get a lot of face time with everyone. But I actually found out that multiple of the people uh, that I had one-on-ones with this week, I'd actually never spoken with one-on-one since they joined the team, uh, including our longest standing team member in the Philippines who'd been with us, I think, since 2016. Apparently, the only one-on-one I ever had with her was uh, during the initial like interview when we, like, when we hired her. So, yeah, I'm probably not the, not the best example there. Like, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think that's really interesting, right? And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of making sure you always do one-to-ones with the people you report to, right? And I, I, think, I think there's a big difference between 
you know, talking work and talking, you know, what do we need to do and so on, and actually having a one-to-one with someone, right, where you talk yeah. about those things like development and, and, and those kind of things, right? And I see a lot of people very often get, I'm not sure overlooked is the right word, but, you know, they, they very often, they might speak a lot with their boss or the manager or whoever, but they don't necessarily get a ton of feedback um, and that could be either on performance or, you know, that could be talking about like what you want to do in the future and stuff like that. So uh, I'm, 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 I've always found one-to-ones be pretty much the best investment and in time that you can do as a manager, right? Because you, every single time you do it, you really get value out of it because you build better relationship with your staff. And yeah. That is essentially what it's about, right? It's it's about it's not about being the best friend or having a barbecue with them or whatever. You, you can probably be that as well, but it's really about building that relationship and really showing them that you really do care, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. You also get the uh, get the best employees that way. I think that's something that's also like very like underrated is that I look for that quality when I'm hiring new team members because I want someone that's going to develop uh, and I want someone that's going to value that development. You know, like uh, I, exactly. I, I actually rate that as probably the highest thing in terms of in terms of hiring someone. Maybe on the technical side, there, there's some other like considerations, but um but yeah, I mean, my, my team has grown so much, like every team member that's, that's been with us, you know, for longer than a year, you can just see how they've changed and how they've grown into like new positions and roles and how they've grown like as human beings. And like, you know, that, that's one of our team's favorite things about being part of, um, part of like our company that I'm genuinely not concerned if our competitor was to come in and like double someone, someone's salary, I still think it'd be a hard decision for our team to jump ship. Right. And we, we've seen that happen once or twice and, you know, it, it wasn't a fun decision for them. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. We we talked a little bit about the fact that you also acquired a SaaS business. So I'm I'm very interested not just uh, about the business itself, but also the whole sort of decision making process around it and so on. So what what made you go out and uh, do some shopping? Yes. Um, so this, this is the first time that I'll actually be chatting about this because we only we only closed this deal I think in late June, I think. So um, we're recording this pretty, pretty soon after that. So I just bought burnchurn.io, which is essentially a exit flow tool for a software or like a membership site that when someone clicks on the cancel button in your software, if you've ever seen um, if you've ever seen, you know, those, those exit flows where it asks, you know, why you're actually like leaving, you know, and then you go through an exit, it's essentially that, but a bit more specialized. So it has the ability to like offer a discount to keep them on board um, or a call with the team or blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, you guys can, can learn more about that, like at the actual site. But essentially what sort of triggered this is um, it, it's kind of funny. So we were actually using a competitor of theirs at Zenmade that I found this little tool. I was like, oh, cool. Like I can design like an exit flow and get us better feedback. 
back, you know, lower like the churn rate without involving like the developer. So we actually, you know, subscribed for this other tool. And we've had that in place for probably a year and a half, like two years now. And they just haven't made any improvements. They don't really do any marketing. And so I actually reached out to them and asked them, if, if they were interested in selling the company just because I, I thought it was a cool little tool. I thought that more of like my SaaS friends should actually be using it. And I'd referred them a couple of like of customers. They quoted me a price that was, let's just say, wasn't a fair valuation based on like on their recurring revenue. And so uh, I just turned around and reached out to all of their competitors. And one of their competitors came back and said, yeah, like we're, we're interested in like in letting this go. We're not actively working on it. And yeah, that, that's burn churn. They've got like a nice brand and everything. And I, I think it took about 14 days from me reaching out to the guy on Twitter to, um, to us like closing that. So pretty, pretty quick deal. It's my first one. Very excited. Excellent. And and what's your goal? Is it basically to be part of your existing company or are you, did you buy it as I, a, a sort of a separate company or what's the goal? I, I bought it. I bought it as a separate company because that, that, that's not related to main services at all. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I bought it as a separate company with, with like with my own, my own money. Um, and yeah, you know, I've been working on my personal brand a little bit and stuff, but you know, I've never really taken it seriously. I've never taken my content writing seriously. And I just looked at this, I saw like a fair price and I was like, Hey, you know, at the very least, if it gets me writing a little bit more about what's working on the marketing side for me and stuff, it'll probably be, you know, a long-term like benefit or whatever. So, you know, I, I think, I think even if it fails horribly, it'll, um, it'll, it'll still help me a lot. Yeah. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And is it the first time you've considered buying a business as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've had it in my head for a long time that I'd wanted to buy another business. I think I'd figured out probably two or three years ago that it was unlikely that I was going to start another business after ZenMade. And that even if I had like an idea for something, I would probably try to buy in a little bit like a head. Um, but yeah, what's funny is that I, I think I've been in credit card debt for for probably 14 or 15 years now, you know, I'm an American. It's what we do. Right. And yeah. so I was literally <laughs> within, within 14 days of paying off my credit card bills for like the first time of like completely paying them off for like 14 or 15 years. And, uh, you know, instead I saw that I had the money in my account and I decided to go buy a software company instead. And now I'm right back in debt. So <laughs> excellent. Or something. <laughs> yeah, hope, or something. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, it turns out to be a good decision. So. Yeah, yeah. it only sets me back like a month or two, so it's, it's really not, not not like not not a big deal. It's, it, I feel like it's a pretty low low risk play, to be honest. But I do think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Right. So, from a management standpoint, Amal, like, so you you've gone from I, I guess zero to about twenty people. What what's been the biggest challenges for you getting to where you are now throughout that process? So, biggest challenges. So, for me, definitely on the technical side, that I'm a non-technical founder, and so I got very lucky having a, you know a technical co-founder like initially, but then after. Um, after like he began to phase out it took us a longer time to find like the other developer and even now i don't really feel comfortable hiring on like the technical side so even now we only have two developers and they're both very very good but for us to be a software company 
you know, that only has like two developers and like a team of 20, that's definitely a bit, um, a bit like odd. Uh, so that, that's probably been, been like the biggest challenge. Maybe well, the, the other one would be the, um, the culture, right? And we had talked about that a little bit before the call is that keeping the culture that you have when it's just like three or four of you, right? And everyone does everything to now getting up to 20 people and to keep it, to keep like that sort of, um, that sort of passion about the business, right? To make everyone feel like they have ownership in the business and that it's their business, that you know, scaling that from, from five to like to 20 people was also something that, um, you know, did definitely pushed us a lot because I think it's one of the most important things, right? Like I'd say it's probably the most important thing that I didn't want to lose when we scaled. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, culture, culture is never an easy thing, right? It's one of those things where, you, you just need to take your eye off the ball a little bit for things to slide, right? Or you just need to have, you know, one or two hires that, that aren't a great fit for, for, for the culture to really significantly change, right? And that's, uh, it, it's definitely something when you're growing a business and particularly like when, when you're sort of doing the first five, six, seven, eight people where you still know everyone, you're still looking at everyone and so on, it's, it's a little bit easier to control and it's a little bit easier to, to change if you do get a wrong hire in. But, you know, after that standpoint, it, it becomes a lot harder because as you said, like you, you haven't even spoken with some of the people yourself uh, who joined you years ago. Right. And if they are the right fit and, and if the team doesn't know how to find the right fits, it definitely becomes significantly easier to keep a team in shape and keep that whole sort of, yeah, culture and, and also the, the values of the business, keeping them intact, right? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So what's, what's the most sort of satisfying thing from your point to, to be able to manage a team and, and grow a team like you have? Like what, what have you enjoyed the most about the process? So, I mean, it's still just very surreal to me to just think back to 2013 when we started, right, and to where we've come now, where just the number of times that the team comes to me with something or something goes live on social media and I've never seen it before, to me is just, it's just a magical, like a magical feeling, right, of like, it's so cool. And being able to like have just like a meeting or two you know, these days and make a couple of decisions and then things are actually moving along and like a new feature is done like a week later or something to me that just like that feels so powerful. Right. And like, I never yeah. would have imagined that we'd ever be like in a place like this before. So that's been like been, been really cool. Um, and then um, the other thing that I think that I've that I've found recently that I've really enjoyed is like the entire concept of managing up that that's something that really changed how um, how things worked for us, like in like in the team was that at some point we realized that with me being sort of like the visionary and not really the operator that like I'm not the one to really like you know micromanage or to be you know focused on like the details and like in, in a lot of like of things and so we sort of shifted things around to now when team members are working with me they do a lot of like that stuff where they're actually coming to me more like sort of with the solutions and taking ownership of a lot more like of a lot more tasks and it's more like them staying on top of me to make sure that we're getting like the projects like the projects done and um you know in in that sense i i very literally 
actually work for my team a lot of the time, but it's after, you know, I've made the strategic decisions on where I should actually be spending my time. I'll be helping the marketing department or I'll be helping like the tech department, but someone else is actually like leading the charge. Right. And so that, that was like a huge one that that changed for us recently. And like I said, that isn't really enjoyable actually. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. And, and how, how did you get around to sort of, figuring out that like what was the process you went through was, was things not working or like how 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 did you sit down and actually get that working yeah yeah it was it was over i mean i i don't i don't really i'm not really sure how to like sort of answer that one i mean it definitely happened over time that we knew over like a couple of month period uh probably sometime last year maybe even like the year before that all of a sudden my management was getting like less sort of effective that i began to start dropping the ball on more things and like it was kind of that point that like the first time that i kind of hit hit that point where there were just too many balls that i was juggling and it wasn't playing to my strengths anymore and so then i became less productive and began to spiral and so at the beginning i think that like as a team we actually thought that it was burnout right that like you know i'm i'm very like in touch with my team about these things and so it was pointed out to me like it was noticed in like um uh sort of like an opening like sort of like fashion right and so like i talked to the team about it initially we thought that it was like burnout and And I think it was Chris, who's my COO, at some point, I think that he actually read an article in, I'm pretty sure it was the Harvard Business Review that was on managing up. And he came to us and was like, hey, why don't we try this for like a project or two with Amar? He's like, I, I think that like this will work a lot better. And then over time, we've gotten to the point now where pretty much every department, if they need me, they'll work with me like that way. And I, I think Chris has actually gone as far as to like do like an entire documentation on like working with me and like what my strengths are and like where messages need to go and all of this i think the team's actually like documented like all of that stuff um so that new employees know exactly how to like work with me and everything super interesting so uh yeah i, I guess you you have an integrator in the team then uh your, your yes. coo is that is that the person who is generally making things happen for the business and so on uh, on the non-technical side so, so he's Yeah, he he's everything um like sales support and like operations and then um technical is handled by our CTO and then I I'm effectively the the, the CMO um that that I I work with like with the marketing team like directly because that that's kind of my strength and passion. So yep. we essentially have it split in like into three things, but yeah, he he he's the one where if we go okay, this is working, Chris comes in and documents it and turns it into like a long-term system for us, puts it in Notion or Slide or whatever it might be. So he he's definitely the integrator on the team. Right. Okay. Yeah, that that sounds like a great great system and uh, I mean I I'm I'm huge on on personalities and getting to know your strengths and weaknesses and yeah. you know where you contribute the most and I I i love it every time I hear stories about how people figure out, you know, how to really work with themselves better. Because I think, I think fundamentally, so many people assume they have certain limitation and certain strength, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's who I am. I can't do that any better." But, but yeah, you know, sometimes there is really things you can do to to get more out of yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. When I when I figured that out, that was just 
massive, right? It's so easy to see why when I was working day jobs before that I just wasn't as productive as I am now, like as, as an entrepreneur. And it really does have a lot to do with like playing to your strengths in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's uh, that's super interesting. Omar. I think uh, from, from a business perspective, where, where do you sort of see your business going over the next couple of years? Like what's your goals and, and where, where do you want to be? Yeah, great question. So, I, uh, you know, I think that this this acquisition that I made recently, I do get the feeling that's going to be the first of multiple, you know, acquisitions for me in the in the future. You know, I don't think that you know all are going to necessarily like work out or whatever, but I do think that I'll continue to try to acquire uh, like small software companies like this. I'm not sure if that sort of like target audience or whatever will like will will, will change, right? I'm not sure if, I, if I'll try to go like up market or anything um, anything like that. Uh, for for Zenmate, I'm really happy with where where Zenmate is. You know, we just broke the thousand customer mark and we're growing at like a, a slow but a steady pace. You know, COVID set us back like a bit, but you know, other than that, we've been like constant growth for for, for seven years now. And so with, with Zenmate, I very much see it as um, you know, right now I think we're on track to break the the one million dollar um, in annual recurring revenue. I think we're on track to break that before the end of the year. And so to me, over the next couple of years, it's just stick with it. And um, there, there's no reason at this point to believe that we can't just stick with it until it gets to, you know, five or $10 million in annual recurring, like recurring revenue. And uh, I don't know, at some point might consider selling it. But honestly, right now, you know, I, I love my team. I love like all of like all of our customers and stuff. You know, I enjoy waking up and like working with this industry and stuff. So like I, I do expect to branch out, but but I, I also expect to, to keep um, to keep turning like then made into this like long term, you know, machine. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it is really interesting. Like people have so many different views and, and on businesses and how they what they're trying to achieve right and i really like the way that you have a a pretty good idea from from your point of view what what it is you'd like to do so that's that's great um from from a management challenge i guess like how how are you going to cope with the new business like have you sort of sat down and said you know i'm going to spend so much time on the new one and so much time on my existing business or how are you planning to work around that yeah, so I, I haven't um, I haven't really too much yet. We actually bought it in late June, and then we've act, we've just like left it since then. That we haven't like we haven't we haven't touched it or done anything with it just because we're we're busy like with other um, with other like other projects and everything right now. Um, so I will be having to to figure that out. Uh, the way that I work is I very rarely actually do like too much. I think like deep work um, that I tend yeah. to be, I'm very ADD. So I tend to be very like interrupt driven, right? I take calls all the time, um, all of that stuff. So it's more than likely going to be that I'll just start putting in an hour to like consistently a day on it, which is exactly how I started Zenmade when I was, when I was working, um, working like full time. But the, the main reason that I actually bought this is because the main value that I can add to it is actually on the content marketing side, right? So once I have like the tech team working on fixing up the 
product. It's mainly content marketing that we're going to use to sort of get this started and get this off the ground. And like, I'm already writing stuff and just didn't really have a place to actually share my thoughts on marketing and on building a successful SaaS company and stuff. So I actually don't think like, you know, most of the work that Burn Churn is going to create in my day-to-day life is really stuff that I should have been doing and I should have been taking more seriously like anyways. And so that's what I mean. And just in terms of like, I'm not really too concerned about it. It's like very like low risk, right? It's all upside, even if it never makes another dollar. Yeah. No, that sounds great. And I like that. I mean, it's always, it's always a big risk, right? Because uh, I mean, you, you definitely have a clear vision with the business and you already have a great team in place, right? Which, which is essential, but I see so many entrepreneurs burning themselves because, you know, they either start and either start a new business or buy into a business. And, and what happens very often is that, you know, when, when their focus split, they, they end up not doing any of it very well. So it's very good yeah. to hear that you have a, a sort of good solid plan for, for actually how to deal with it. Right. So. Yeah. And, and, and the main thing is that I think a lot of people would probably make the mistake of going like, okay, I just bought this. So it's going to get like all of like my focus. And like, I'm actually thinking about it. No, like I just bought this, like a hundred percent of my focus is still on Zenmade. And then as my attention opens up, I'll begin to give this like more and more time that like the big thing is just like, I'm not impatient with this, with this new, um, with this new like software that I just bought that we have time. Right. And it, it doesn't matter if like, you know, we, we sprint it right now, or if we do things slowly over the next couple of months, but, you know, if you look at a 10 year horizon, you know, that, that time is just not going to be important. It's more important that we do it right. And that we don't take our eyes off the prize at a, as then made at the same time yeah that's very good so i would say <laughs> most entrepreneurs don't have the or maybe the skill or they that's not how they prioritize right so i'm really happy to hear how you're looking at it that's that's really good to hear excellent excellent well anything else amar that you think we should really talk about from a management standpoint like any other key sort of tips or tricks or anything you really want to share with the audience before we finish off? Huh, I don't know. I know I, we, we chatted before about, you were, you were saying you like to talk about like failures and I'm, I'm looking through, I, I just pulled up a quick list, but I've actually got a list of like a couple of like the failures that I had like before, but most of them aren't actually like management type, like type stuff. I mean, the, the main thing sure. was just like I ran a, I ran a maid service before starting then made. And I very quickly realized that like, I did not want to be hiring people for like, you know, uh, you know, for, for cleaning and everything. Right. But I wanted more like information driven sort of like workers and stuff. And that's, that's why, you know, I didn't move from being in a maid service to trying like another local service business. That's why I went like in the software, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think so. No, I think, I think that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty much good to me. Unless you've got any other like questions or anything. Excellent. No, I think that's, that's been excellent. Uh, am I, if, if people are desperate to reach out to you or want to get a hold of you and so on, what's the best ways of doing that generally? Uh, definitely Twitter. Um, my, my Twitter handle is um, it's just Amar, I-T-S-J-U-S-T-A-M-A-R. Um, and yeah, if you guys just follow me on Twitter, I'm sharing a lot more like personal uh, stuff, like on like, you know, buying the, like the business and just, um, you know, not content for made services because t- typically I'm, I'm usually just writing a bunch of stuff for made services. So yeah, Twitter is definitely the best place to, uh, to reach out and to, uh, to give me a shout. And uh, yeah. 
Excellent. Well, that's really interesting. I've, I mean, I've been on Twitter for, for many years, but I've never actually, I don't know if I've never used it or not used it properly, but uh, I've, I've never really figured out how to get to a point where I feel I'm getting a lot of value out of it. Have, have, do you, I mean, I guess you're very yeah. comfortable using it and I, so on. I'd be, I'd be, you know, well, I, I kind of discovered it recently. So, I mean, if you, if you want to extend the, the, uh, the episode for a couple more minutes, I'd be happy to like to chat about <laughs> sure. that if you're, if you're interested. Yeah, um, that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, really what, what like Twitter comes down to is it comes down to, so it, it's sort of weird because Twitter feels like this sort of like black hole. And my previous experience with it was that, you know, at least who I followed, it was just all marketers just sharing links to their most recent like recent articles right and so like yeah. I just thought that it was a complete like waste of time you know I didn't go to Twitter on my phone to just be taken to another like you know website to read like you know an article right like I've got plenty of articles that I can that I can read and so the main thing that's sort of like hidden there is that there's actually communities on Twitter where people are actually on their everyday like having discussions and so the main thing to just start with is just like curate like your your Twitter feed right so if you actually go on to Twitter like if you follow me I can like point out a couple of other like, um, you know, but DCers in particular, actually, um, as well as quite a few like startup and tech folks, you know, product manager types, like all of that. And I can point you to a couple of people that are actually on Twitter, you know, chatting every day about like various, um, various things. And then I just on a regular basis, just go through and if like, you know, I, I see an, uh, an, uh, if I see someone that's just tweeting articles all the time and I go on and I realize that it's just, you know, they're using Meet Edgar or something like that to just auto post like on Twitter, then I just unfollow them, right? And so it takes a little bit of time, but with, with like a bit of work, you can actually find like these communities. And so now, you know, I'm beginning, you know, I'm actually beginning to get, you know, podcast episodes and stuff that people are beginning to reach out to me on there to, um, to do like interviews and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I was very surprised. I pretty much got into it like maybe in, in December. And now like Twitter's by far my favorite place like to go. It uh, It's replaced all of like the crappy uh, Facebook groups, right? Because in the Facebook nice. groups were just like the same basic questions are asked like over and over and over again. I found like Twitter has like high quality discussions and you don't see that as much if you if you follow the right people. Nice. Well, I'm, I maybe give it another spin. I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a, in a, a bunch of very high quality Facebook groups, but uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I've I've heard a few people sort of move to Twitter, and I've, I've never, yeah. I guess I've never had the skills to sit down or the patience to sit down and actually figure it out properly. So that was a yeah. I I, I don't remember what the low point in my life was that that got me on there for a while, but now now <laughs> I'm back in a good place and I still enjoy it. So I feel like that's a, that's a good thing. But yes, I do feel like to make that initial jump into Twitter, you've just got to be like insanely bored or just have like nothing better to do with your time for like four or five hours. But like once it clicks, it's actually really nice. So <laughs> Excellent. Well, Amar, thank you very, very much for joining us. I, I think it would have been a, a good share and I, I really hope the audience can take some good value away from this episode. So best of luck and uh, I, I really look forward to hear how you get on with your SaaS business. Yeah, definitely. I will um, I'll keep, you, uh, keep you up to date. Thanks again for, uh, for having me and everything and we will chat soon. Excellent. And to all the listeners, we'll listen to us again next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.